to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Friends, before we read our scripture this day, let us go to the God, our God in prayer. Let us pray. God of Epiphany, we long to hear your holy word in fresh ways. Open our ears to the call of your voice. Open our eyes to the dawning of a new day. Fill us with anticipation for your future. So come, O holy God, kindle this flame of sacred love within our hearts this day. Amen. Turning to scripture, we hear a familiar story for many of us. It is the story of the Magi in the Gospel of Matthew. So friends, we turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who is born, born King of the Jews? We saw its star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned by another route. The word of the Lord. So happy New Year's Day Eve, which means that New Year's Day is only hours from now and we all have a decision to make. Will I make a New Year's resolution? Maybe some of us tried this last year. Maybe others have given up on this whole notion years ago. But if we want to try this out, if we want to make a resolution, we've got to ask ourselves a few questions. The first one is, how much resolve do I have? Can I make a change for the better? And if I do, what does that change need to make? Maybe our answer is optimistic. Maybe we say, yes, I can do this. I will do this. I've been putting it off forever, but tomorrow is finally today, the day, this is the day when I will make that resolution. Because when we think about it, we know that the YMCA, LA Fitness, 
Planet Fitness, Orange Theory, and all the rest, they will be at their busiest. People will circle, circle that parking lot for hours trying to find a place where they can walk the shortest distance to get into those places <laughs> before they actually work out. Peloton subscriptions, they will be at an all-time high. I know my house recently got one. But after a few months of this, after a few months of this go by, usually, all too often, that resolve, it dissolves. So about those resolutions, who among us will make one? Or better yet, who made one last year and is still going strong? If you fail at New Year's resolution and this whole idea, then you can take comfort that the season of Lent is not far away, I think about seven weeks away. So there again, you can try again. And here's an opportunity to make yourself a pledge or a promise. We remember we're told that Jesus went into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted by Satan and wild beasts and he was out there. And during that whole time he fasted. So I think about during the fourth century and after that, we too have adopted this practice of fasting. So for those days, these days, people give up things like Television, social media, alcohol, and meat, which means if you are a big fan of the NCAA tournament of March Madness, that's going to be a challenge for you. If you are big into going all in on St. Patrick's Day, that will be a challenge for you. Instead of giving something up, other people try to make something, uh, take something on that might make them a little more holy, a little more righteous. In those instances, people devote themselves to 40 days of prayer, reading the Bible, getting better sleep, 40 days of serving other people. During what might amount to a 40-day experiment, some figure out for the first time how to spell quinoa. They also try to taste kale or eat lots of kale without tasting the taste of kale. Whether it's a resolution, a 40-day pledge, or any other lifestyle change that we freely choose to make, one must wonder, why do we do it? Why do we put ourselves through these tests that we too often fail? What is it that we hope to achieve? I'm sure there are several different answers to these questions, but at the heart of them all, I think that what we're trying to do is make subtle changes to our very identity. We want to exit from this path of bad choices and take another road onto something that will make us a better version of ourselves, another road that leads us to a new and improved version of who we are. Taking this path, we reevaluate our faith. We think deeply about what is real, what really matters. And people of faith can think deeply about how we engage with our faith, how we engage with other people, and what this all looks like. And knowing that every fast has an end, and that these 40 days or this time of this resolution will come to an end, sometimes we turn to faith leaders or therapists or coaches or counselors or mental health experts who can help to keep us going, who can help to keep us on track. So towards those lifestyle changes, we ask, 
Who am I? Who do I wish to become? How can I become a better disciple, a better apostle, a better child of God? It's about our identity. So the story of the epiphany is also about identity. This is actually what the word epiphany means. It is concerning the manifestation or the appearance or the revealing of who Jesus is. This Jesus that we welcomed into the world last Sunday, we get into the heart of the matter about why Jesus was born in the first place. And on this day in Matthew's Gospel, we remember the account of the Magi who show up in Jerusalem and become the first people to point out that a child has been born who will become king of the Jews. Matthew's Gospel makes it clear right away. Jesus is born to a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will be named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And thanks to the Magi, we learn that Jesus, once again, will become king of the Jews. Jesus' identity will be made very clear, and we'll get back to that in just a moment. But first, we need to discuss the Magi. Who are the Magi? Why do we sing about them this day? Why do we talk about them? Well, this is the place where I think we get into a case of a mistaken identity. First of all, we don't know how many Magi there were. We know that they bring three gifts, but we're never told how many there were. There could have been two, there could have been three, there could have been twelve. We don't really know. They also present, were not present at the moment that Mary gave birth, and thankfully so. Just as every mother here would not want three complete strangers creeping into the delivery room at the time of childbirth, we can be sure the case was the same for Mary. So contrary to the major scenes of our imaginations, the Magi didn't show up until later. The same goes for the shepherds. We don't really know when they came. Uh, Matthew makes no mention of the shepherds. Luke makes no mention of the Magi. And with apologies to the title of our first hymn this morning, all the lyrics are great, but with apologies to the title of that hymn, we know that the Magi were in fact not kings either. And it's important to point this out. Because in all of the gospel, there is only one true king, and it's certainly not Caesar, it's certainly not Herod. The only one true king that we acknowledge in our story is Jesus Christ, our Lord. As for their way of life, what did the Magi do? What were they about? They were most likely ancient Persian priests, and one of their priestly duties would have been in the interpretation of stars, particularly anything that was seemingly out of place like comets, asteroids, meteors, eclipses of the sun, of the moon. So I imagine that they were also kind of known throughout the region. They would have been, to, been too strange. Herod didn't have to question who they were, where they came from, so I imagine people knew who these folks were. It's also possible that they were perceived as magicians or sorcerers. Magi in the singular, magos, that's where we get the word magician. But of all these details about who they might have been, who they might not have been, let's remember this one thing. They were the first human beings to identify Jesus as Lord. They pointed to the appearance of Christ. These unlikely outsiders, these priests, these astrologers who were from a completely different set of beliefs, 
They were the first to announce Jesus. And that detail remains constant throughout the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. The lowly, nomadic, and impoverished shepherds paired with these traveling pagan priests make for the ultimate cast of outsiders. Just as Mary herself was a lowly and unlikely person to give birth to the Savior of the world, the people who show up to worship, honor, and glorify Jesus were also strange and improbable. And to be sure, this was no accident. It's a sign that Jesus was born and is born for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, wealthy and poor together, those insiders who seemed to be model candidates of holiness and righteousness, as well as those outsiders who did not seem to fit in, who did not seem to match the pieces of that puzzle. Jesus was born for all. The people who smelled like sheep and the people who smelled like frankincense and myrrh, Jesus was born for them. And as for these gifts, they also point to the epiphany the revelation, the identity of who Christ is. There's an author, Lawrence Hull Stuckey, and he has a book about the calendar year, the liturgical year of the church. And he points out what was presented to Jesus. He said that gold, well, it's pretty self-evident. Gold represents what is given to people of power and authority. Incense was used in religious rites to uh, identify the presence uh, of a deity. Myrrh was a painkiller. It was an embalming substance as well as a fragrance and a beauty treatment. So putting all these together, Stuckey makes the premise that Jesus was identified as the supreme ruler of the world, as God's anointed priest, and as a suffering servant who dies as a fragrant and beautiful offering before God. So when the Magi approach Herod asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews because we want to go and worship him, kneel down before him and honor him. They had no idea about the blunder that they had just committed. They had no idea about the events that would soon follow. The Magi just admitted that Jesus had been born as a king. They just admitted that they wanted to go and kneel down, not before Herod, but before this newborn child. King Herod, who was really only a king as far as Rome would allow him to be, was both offended, unsettled, angry. Maybe he was a little jealous that he didn't have his own star. We don't know. But we know that he was both also, he seemed to be insecure and cruel. That was Herod's identity. He was assuredly jealous and angry. And he wanted the Magi to lead him to Jesus so that he could supposedly go and go you know, pay homage to Jesus as well. So we can see Herod kind of cynically thinking to himself, hey, you know, I kind of consider myself a king, but sure, lead me to this person who is going to replace me, to usurp me, to take all of the things that I've worked to accumulate, to own this position that I have. Show me where this child is. Lead me to him so that I may go and kneel down before him. But we hear that the Magi did not give that information to Herod. They are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they go back home by the means of a different road. Joseph is also warned 
in a dream that he should not return to Bethlehem. And they are sent fleeing to Egypt, fleeing to Egypt as, along with Mary and Jesus, as refugees, as immigrants. After learning about all of this, we learn that Herod feels like he's been tricked. He's very angry. And unfortunately, he does not choose a different path or take another road and kind of assessing the political landscape. He reacts, and in an attempt to eliminate his supposed rival, he responds by doing something that we can't really mention for our younger listeners. It's kind of R-rated, the things that he does. According to Matthew's gospel, Herod was the manifestation of evil. He was the embodiment of what happens when human beings are given too much power, too much authority. He shows his true identity when he is terrified of losing his things of wealth, comfort, status, identity. And is our world any different today? Have we become more advanced? Have we become more enlightened? Well, unfortunately, no, we haven't. From the violence in our own backyards to the loss of life for the innocent people, people like those in Ukraine, in Gaza, the story of Herod continues. And while those sins represent the most horrific and egregious of all of the sins, it's also true that they were still simply sin. Are we ourselves Herod? No, we're certainly not. That was a sermon that I preached as an intern uh, to a church in Austin, Texas, and that did not go well. (laughs) But we are sinners. We are sinners nevertheless. There's a reason that we come into this place every week to confess, to confess the things that we do and say, to confess the things that we don't do and say but should, to confess the sins that we might not even know that we're a part of, the sins of which we're kind of complicit with systems that destroy and take the lives of others. And that is why it was necessary that Jesus come into our world. Happy New Year's Day, Eva. Only hours from now, once again, we will have a chance to make a resolution. I pray that we will be so bold in making one. No, not for ourselves, not anything that has to do with the gym membership, but for the sake of pointing ourselves and others to the one true king, God's anointed high priest, the suffering servant who dies so that we might take a different road to new life. And in that new life, let's really put some thought into what it looks like to say the things that we believe about baptism, that we're, we die daily to sin and that we're born daily into something new, into something better, something that is possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit and our belief in Jesus Christ. So let's return to those questions asked a little while ago. Why do we put ourselves through these kinds of things? What's the point? What do we hope to achieve? The why is because we believe in a God who loves us so much that he came into the world This world of suffering, pain, and violence. God came into the world as one of us, fully into the flesh, to experience the kinds of things we experience in our minds, our bodies, our hearts. The point is that we don't deserve what God does, but God does it anyway. 
God showers that love, that grace, that mercy upon us, even though we do not deserve it. And what do we hope to achieve? Well, friends, we're called to witness, testify, and become evangelists to the fact that we cannot save ourselves, but we believe in a God who can. A God who can if we're only willing to turn ourselves over to our God. So I took a different path uh, this last weekend. I traveled 800 miles around trip to Memphis and back. Uh, I took Knox to Memphis with me uh, to meet a lot of my dearest friends. I wanted him to experience what a tailgate was like, what a bowl game was like. He got to see Memphis beat Iowa State in the Liberty Bowl. Again, it was his first trip there. I wanted him to see the things that I really enjoy. Again, spending time with friends, eating the world's best barbecue, and going to see the places where I went to school, the places where I lived. I was so excited for him to see these things and to experience these things. And I suppose it was a way of sharing with my son my identity, teaching him a little bit about who I am and where I came from. So my question is, what if we were all so eager and excited ourselves to share with others what God is doing in our lives? And think about what that might look like. How might you share with somebody how excited and eager you are about what God is doing in your lives that you would go to the point of telling others about it? So if we're going to make a resolution, I have a, I have a proposal. May we resolve to do this. Let us become so compassionate, so excited, so pleased with the worship, the ministry, the mission, and the service that takes place in and through this place that we don't only invite, you know, meekly and humbly invite others to join us, but that we impel them, we compel them, we tell them, you've got to be here. Let's become so passionate about Christ's church that people really want to become curious about what that looks like. What is it that makes life and faith special? Let's help put others in a position to hear the gospel for themselves, trusting that the Holy Spirit will do the hard work, trusting that the Holy Spirit will take it from there. And for those searching for an identity, let us be resolved in pointing them to Jesus. They too can ask some of these questions that the Magi asked. Where is the child that is born, born king of the Jews? The child who is for Jews and Gentiles alike. The child who is for poor and rich together. Those insiders that model the perfect faith, those outsiders that don't seem to fit in, where is Jesus who has been born for them? Maybe they too will kneel down and worship him. So may we all take a different road this coming year, one that leads to new life in Christ, where we become ambassadors, where we become messengers, where we become evangelists to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, living lives that are a little more holy, a little more righteous, a little more right. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the God who is with us and a Jesus who is the one true king, let us believe that we can indeed become holier, that we can make these changes, that we can make a resolution, changes where our identity is not only in ourselves and the perception that we have, 
but an identity that is rooted in God through the power of the Holy Spirit and through God, through the person of Jesus Christ, where there will forever be an epiphany among us. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.